You have reached the voice mailbox of Game Thing, Season 4, Horror. You have 18 new messages. Wednesday, the 8th of March, at 2.17pm. Okay, well, I'm starting to think you're screening your calls here, but that's fine. When you hear me, Pippin, this is David with, believe it or not, the final pick, period, for our season playing horror games together asynchronously. I'm picking D, the game. Does the D stand for David? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know much about this game. I can tell you um, it came out in 1995. It was developed by Warp, published by Panasonic and Acclaim, and it was directed by Kenji Ono, who deserves a special mention here. He made a bunch of games. He wrote seven books. He died at 42. He Something of an anomaly um, for video games, or at least this era of video games, in that he made what he wanted uncompromisingly and uh, never saw much major success. And from what I understand, D is... Um, more interesting than out-and-out out good. Uh, after doing the rigmarole and soft shoe to get it running on Steam Deck, I can tell you what I've seen so far is it's a bit like it's a horror-tinged mist, M-Y-S-T, where you aren't really in like quick-quick control of what you're doing. You kind of just glide over environments. And so the setup for D is... 1997, Los Angeles. This is the text in the opening movie that plays. A mass murder has taken place in a hospital some distance away from downtown Los Angeles. The criminal is one Richter Harris. He is one of America's best-known doctors, a quiet and studious man who is the director of the hospital. Suddenly transformed into a mass murderer, Richter has seized a large number of hostages and barricaded himself in the hospital where the police cannot reach him. His daughter, Laura, hears the news at school in San Francisco. Immediately, she drives to Los Angeles to find out what it is that has made her father a murderer. Reaching the scene of the tragedy, she prepares to enter the hospital. They call it D. Wednesday, the 8th of March, at 3.33 p.m. Hello, David. I am screening your calls. So we are playing D, the game, not the letter. I have made it now as far as the first moments of interactivity in the game, where you can start to rotate your view and move around um, in its spaces. But I stopped, actually, because it turns out that this game is very much intended to be played straight through without stopping, uh, maybe suggesting some kind of parallels to watching a film or something. Um, in terms of uh, Kenji Ono's vision for this. Uh, so to quote the manual, quote, due to its story, this game has a two-hour time limit. Laura, the protagonist, enters the hospital at three o'clock, but at five o'clock, the other world is closed off, so the game terminates. Be aware of the time while you are playing this game. Note, in keeping with the time limit, this game does not contain a save feature, end quote. So we could probably work around that and find ways to save or break up our play sessions. Uh, but at least for, for my first play session, I'm going to try and play the whole thing uh, front to back, start to finish. 
go to woe. Still, I've uh, watched Laura in the opening cutscene driving through the night uh, to the hospital in her canary yellow Corvette Stingray. Cool points for her. And she arrives there, not sure why the police are letting her walk into this uh, mass shooting. And she walks in and finds dead bodies uh, all over the floor of the atrium. They've been shot by her father, as far as we know. Very hard um, not to think about U.S. mass shootings in that moment. Um, it's, I mean, I don't know if they were thinking about when they made this game, but it's it's right there on the surface, right? Um, but then she, she keeps walking. She wants to keep going. Uh, and she finds a kind of wobbly water disc suspended in the air um, and decides to touch it and is then transported into the dining room of some kind of mansion. And so begins the action where you can actually start um, moving around. So, as I said, I'm going to wait until hopefully tonight to actually play this game. But uh, as we've been experiencing with horror games, there is an earnest uh, little piece of instruction in the manual, quote, how to enjoy this game. To get 120% enjoyment out of your DCD-ROM, Make the room as dark as possible by drawing the curtains and turning off the lights. It's good that they told us. Uh, playing on a dark night is best. Turn up the volume. If playing in the middle of the night, be sure to wear headphones so you do not disturb people around you. Can you solve all the riddles before the door to the other world closes? End quote. And so here we go, right? Uh, and to quote the manual one last time, will Laura be able to penetrate the riddle of her transfigured father? End quote. Let's see. Over to you, D. Thursday, the 9th of March, at 10.31 a.m. Hey, Pippin. So, first up, I want to fact-check and apologize. It's Kenji Ano, not Ono. I guess I hadn't had my coffee yet. So, just wanted to set the record straight first before we go on and talk about the confusion. The lovely confusion. The have to smile and uh, either nod or shake your head, confusion of D. Um, so I played quite a bit last night. I have no clue how far I got. I didn't reach um, any message telling me my time had run out. I just had to I had to go to bed. So I will definitely be trying again. I had not saved. Um, and I guess one thing to mention is, although... You know, there's a very clear time limit out of the gate. There's no real way to sort of speed run through the game because of how traversal works uh, in D, which I guess I mentioned before, and I'm sure we'll get into. Um, first, what I want to talk about is, you know, just generally what's on the menu for D is I feel like every single moment you play, you're like, uh, what? <laughs> what just happened? What's the significance of this? And also, Laura doesn't seem to have any clue herself. She seems totally beside herself, interacting with everything uh, in this castle or mansion that you get transported to while walking down a hospital corridor. Uh, and it occurred to me, you know, this is an extension of that thing I've been talking about all season, um, but instead of it being a sort of sleight of hand distraction in the form of a game puzzle, it's, hey, let's stretch that disorientation to every single moment, uh, which I think is pretty effective. Uh, you know, my favorite example of this is like 
opening a the top drawer of a bureau upstairs in the mansion. There's a there's an insect in it, a bug, and Laura suddenly gets hypnotized. She has like a psychotic break. She has a vision of, I guess, at some point in the past or future, dining on the insect with a fork and knife. There's all sorts of strange angles seemingly putting importance on her sweater, and then it reveals uh, she's wearing the insect as a necklace. Uh, actually, <laughs> then those drawers just in general, you know, when opened in the right sequence, they, they manifest a bunch of different puzzle pieces. You know, a blank piece of paper you get is treated as an incredible win for you um uh you know there's a lot of other basics i think we can get into and i know we will and since this is pretty time limited uh there's just going to be you know so many things we can talk about so i'll save the rest of it for later um pippin sir why are you screening my calls thursday the 9th of march at 1.16 p.m. Thursday, the 9th of March, at 9.53 p.m. Who's screening who, David? I have actually finished the game twice now. Uh, the first time I lost right near the end... Um, I lost on time. You've got two hours to finish the game, uh, from 3 o'clock game time to 5 o'clock game time. And then the second time I played today, uh, speeding through all of the stuff I already knew, I received the official bad ending. Uh, but until we're both through the gauntlet, I will refrain from talking about what happens in the game. No spoilers. So what can I say so much? It's... It's a game loaded with <laughs> with things to comment on. Um, and I think much of it begins with the movement, which is hugely influenced by the fact that, as far as I can tell, the game is really made up of tiny pre-rendered 3D movies that it plays to show you moving around in this mansion that you're in. Um, so it's all pre-rendered and you trigger movement with the arrow keys. There's nothing kind of live happening. Um, in in some sense. So just to set the scene, for example, um, you start out the interactive bit in a dining room, standing at one end of a dining table, looking down at towards a fireplace. And if you press the left key, the view pans left, so you look a little to the left of the table. This is a, a short video that plays. And then if you press up, you glide along the floor uh, to a certain point along the dining table, another pre-rendered video. Uh, if you press right, you then uh, rotate around to the right and see a bowl of soup on the table. You press up to approach the soup. You press space to interact with the soup. I think it's space. Uh, it turns into blood, so it goes. Um, and that's how you move around the world, right? You play these little videos of movement. Um, and it has that classic mist-era low-resolution 3D, which is actually, I think, quite becoming. Um, especially when you start seeing some of the more gruesome skeletons and corpses littered around the place. Not not scary, um, but certainly artful, I think. Pleasing to the eye. Um, and then the basis of the, of the game is to solve puzzles and progress through its, the, the mansion's spaces in this way. So, for instance, uh, you find a piece of paper in a drawer, 
you dunk it in the soup, it reveals the solution to another puzzle, and so on. Um, and one of the things that really strikes me about the way that you're dealing with pre-rendered video for movement is uh, the ease with which it ends up flowing between the sense that you're live in the castle, moving around under, you know, the world is under your control or movement is under your control, and the cutscenes uh, which play, some of which are very psychedelic and kind of amazing, um, because everything in in effect is is pre-rendered 3D video. Um, everything is both kind of live and a cutscene at the same time, which is, I think, a an odd way to experience space and time in a video game. Um, and one of the things, of course, that happens is because they're videos, you cannot move any faster or slower than the video plays. So you could be in a massive hurry uh, because time is running out on the very prominent stopwatch in your inventory, uh, which is what happened to me in my first playthrough, but you just have to move at the rather easygoing speed that Laura pans and tracks around the spaces. Laura, the camera, I guess. Um, you have no choice. You have to hurry up, David, but you have to hurry up and wait. Friday, the 10th of March, at 11.05 a.m. Hurry up and wait. I love that game. World champion of that game. But I'm going to change topics back to um, D, the game. The game called D. And it... I'm sure we're going to be talking so much more, continue to talk about the movement, um, how it works, the speed. I mean, I think actually the speed, you know, there's this there's this tension between what you as the player want to be doing, which is zoom all around, and then there's like, I mean, I haven't been in the situation of walking down a hospital hallway and you see a translucent goo disc of your father's face and then suddenly you're transported um, to a haunted castle, but I'd imagine you'd be a little trepidatious and moving quite slow, especially because your dad keeps talking to you, telling you to leave, but there's literally no way to leave or escape. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's the way movement works is this sort of like Google map, street view, first person, with invisible lanes and streets you can't see in some rooms or roundabouts, only from some sides. I mean, all of it feels... I'm sure it's intentional. I mean, obviously it's intentional. It's a choice. But it, it feels, you know, specifically designed to drain the clock, which makes you more anxious, which, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the game playing fair. I don't think the game has to play fair. But that's so much of what D is, is this anxiety um, maybe even scarier, you know, the threat to you as the player, we've been calling for wanting the games to be more punitive to us, and maybe this is what that is, which is, like, a bigger threat to the player than to the, to the character, you know. So, like, for example, um, I guess this was, like, most of what the last, the third disc of three, uh, was in the game is this whole elevator section where there's a rotating elevator. You have to turn a crank a bunch of times to get to other floors, but 
it isn't that simple. You have to turn the crank, turn to the left, turn to the left, see if there's a new door there, go through, see if it's a new area, if not, go back. And there's like some floors you have to go to where you have to, you know, turn the crank about 10 times. And, you know, there's another room, this like children's bedroom, where you kind of move like a chess piece. There's like a, a locked drawer in a desk in the right side of the room you want to get to, but you can't go there unless you go forward and then left to turn to the door, almost go to the door, turn left, turn left again, go forward. And it's like, I don't know, I maybe, maybe it's a little like you're drunk the way you move, but it's like being seasick but on land. And uh, I should also say, yeah, I guess I got the good ending last night, which I don't know if there really is such a thing. But I didn't get reprimanded for how things wrapped up. So, um, I guess back to the waiting game. Waiting to hear from you. Friday, the 10th of March, at 2.50pm. Ah, uh, yes. That movement system, in all its unapologetic slowness, is in many ways at the heart of D, right? It's... It really dominates my kind of sense impressions of what it means to play the game. And I wonder, I mean, I wonder if it's really, really intentional or whether it's somehow an artifact of some weird technicality like the, the game engine they used or the nature of producing the videos or just some intern <laughs> who was asked to draw the node graph and did a weird job or something. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe it's a designed challenge. It's possible um, that one of the challenges of the game is just that agonizing, time-consuming process of not just moving, but like working out how to get to a desk or something like that. But, you know, so maybe that is maybe that is one of the things. Is it meant to be scary? Uh, there's clearly, just as you said, there's the meta kind of scariness for the player of running out of time. Uh, because the game has this hard time limit and the slowness of of panning around and trying to point at the right thing and move towards it is, you know, it, it has its costs. It is so very slow and painful. Um, and, you know, frankly, in connection with all of this, one of the scariest moments really uh, for me in playing D so far was the moment where I realized I was going to have to start the game from scratch for my second playthrough, knowing that I'd be, you know, flowing like molasses down all of the familiar pathways and solving all of the already solved puzzles of the game again, just to get back to where I was with time to spare. Um, again, maybe the game is doing that on purpose, right? They make it painful to play and they make you know that if you don't get it finished, you are going to have to do it all again. Do it all again, young man. Um, but I think maybe one of the more interesting scares for me is the scariness of locking in a choice. Because in D, you press forward or left or right without actually knowing um, how far forward you're going to walk or how far left or right you're going to turn, um, at least the first time until you kind of get used to the spaces. And so you have this feeling of like, well, what if, <laughs> what if this leads me into disaster and I can't back out now, right? What if something jumps out at me while I'm slowly gliding forwards for an unknown amount of time? 
Um, and in fact, it turns out the game doesn't actually leverage that at all. Uh, but it's one of the things, the things I thought about a lot while I was moving. It's like, I can't stop this movement until it finishes on its own. A little bit like the horror of moving a chess piece in a correspondence game and sending it off and then having nightmares about the things your opponent might do to you now. Um, but how are the scares going over in the old Walensky house? Friday, the 10th of March, at 3.37pm. <laughs> the old Walensky house. As I call it around here, the House of D. Mm, we've talked a lot about how not truly scary we find a lot of these horror games. And I agree with everything you've had to say about D. Uh, I would add to... Uh, gosh, we keep talking about the language around this stuff. And I can never tell if it's just my geeky, nerdy writer brain or if this taxonomy of scares we keep talking about, like how truly vital and important it is to just getting, you know, what's going on under the hood with these games. So thinking back, uh, the biggest scare I had was last night, this moment, one of many moments that happens where Laura's dad talks to you in the form of a translucent face you can't quite see in the ceiling. There's this sort of abrupt way the message gets cut off and you know like alone in the dark like a lot of the sort of older games we've been playing they really benefit from like not feeling haunted but you can tell like there's a lot of information you're not getting due to the just nature of the graphics and you know the audio um I don't know what it is. I don't know why it was unsettling, but that was like a thing where I was like, ugh, that was that was unsettling. Um, and it's also, you know, it's, it's worth calling out that Laura's dad is the only real voice you hear in the game, except for Laura's exasperation sometimes or her sort of, you know, her reeling from what's happening to her. And... There's a good deal of silence otherwise. I think the loudest thing you usually do is just your own footsteps. And that personal relationship in the middle of... To me, there's just like a lot of... To me, it feels like dream logic in D or... Uh, D sort of reminds me of like this old improv exercise I used to do with students. There's an exercise called conducted story where you point to the different performers. They start a story. One has to pick up, you know, it could be mid sentence. It could be mid word. And the other person has to seamlessly move on. I guess it's like a purely verbal version of the, uh, exquisite corpse, uh, technique, which is appropriate. That comes in, in horror of like assembling drawings or written work in the same way and there's that noise to signal in d and things getting cut off midway i mean i don't know how your mind really auto completes anything going on in d a lot of the puzzles are very strange everything is very strange but scary maybe saturday the 11th of march at 4:23 a.m. i can feel like Saturday, the 11th of March, at 
1.55 p.m. Hey, David. Yep, good observations. Uh, dream logic in particular is something that we should probably talk about. Like, um, why is the mansion the way it is? Question mark. Um, but also your, your mention of dad uh, is important. We need to talk about dad. Uh, you know, D is for dad, after all. Uh, that and something else, as we know. And dad is complicated. Um, or at least he's meant to be a complicated character. Uh, because the game opens, lest we forget, because the game certainly does, uh, with dad having murdered a large number of people inside a major hospital he is the director of. And that's something we see in the initial cutscene, right? Dad shooting people. And that is scary. That is a scary thing. Uh, whether it's, you know, scary in the moment, I don't know, but it's a scary thing. Mass shootings are scary. Uh, but it's scary that the game, the game never mentions this again, as far as I've been able to tell. Um, and even during the, uh, the good ending, uh, where you as Laura cradle poor dying dad in your arms as he expires, uh, he seems pretty happy with how it all worked out, right? He's relieved, importantly, that he didn't turn into a monster. Um, but seems to have forgotten about all of the people. Uh, that he killed. Um, so, Dad is, you know, mostly scary, I guess, for, for reasons that aren't necessarily foregrounded in the game itself. Um, and one thing for me is it's it's really hard not to be reminded of the uncle from the movie Hellraiser, finding all of the torment just a little bit sexy. Um, and that's especially true, I think, in the bad ending, if you've seen that one. Um, you know, his obsession with his adult daughter is a touch creepy. Um, you never know when you're going to be walking down a hallway and you just hear him again and again. Laura, 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 Laura. Saturday, the 11th of March at 4.11 p.m. Hey, Pippin, it's David. And, oh, I think it's foregrounded quite a bit that, let's say it, D stands for Dracula, and Dad, of course, but the first thing you see after the game tells you it's in Los Angeles uh, are bats, and when Laura walks into the hospital while making her way around a bunch of bodies, she passes a column uh, with two signs on it, uh, which is a sign telling people to give blood today and then on the other side of the column it says no food or beverages so the writing is literally on the walls here um and as it comes out to you know laura is a vampire a dracula a cannibal herself and you know the strange thing as you said is all of this is treated as a cut to like the way the story hangs together because it's never sort of addressed again uh it seems that laura is just largely concerned that dad is killing too many people at once you know you gotta have some restraint because laura's only ever i guess killed one person uh, her mom but you know there's very little about the game here that is dramatic per se i mean even the big reveal of what's going on at the end you see your dad at the end of a big hallway um and he doesn't even bother to stand up to tell you what's going on. He stays seated the entire time. So, you know, we start with hospital. We end up with castle. I don't think it's the game being metaphysical. 
Uh, I read in some interviews that Kenji Ino said that you know, the story didn't even exist when the game started. It's all sort of tended to in flashbacks later. It isn't really part of the interaction per se. So the questions I have, you know, you don't have to answer them. I don't know if they do have answers. Maybe it's individual, but where this is all taking us and seems appropriate towards the end of this season is do stories in horror games matter? You know, why can some get away without it? Um, our minds will connect dots anyway, you know, even when it isn't really holding together. So where is the range of motion here that sort of helps or hinders horror? Does it matter to you, Pippin? Uh, I sometimes think what games do is not tell stories, not that there isn't storytelling, um, but the story of D is largely I went to this room, then that room. So D is a variable. Can we solve for D? Saturday, the 11th of March. At 10.10 p.m. Yeah. I mean, we should probably put a pin in the Do Stories Matter question until we're really wrapping. But, you know, your example of Kenji Eno there, uh, that the story of the game was kind of added in post, does really does really make me feel like probably it's better if somebody involved in making the game while they're making it knows what is meant to be going on. Because without that story, and even with that story, D is a lot like a spooky castle-themed puzzle adventure, right? Um, feels a little bit like the Disneyland haunted house almost, uh, which I see they're making a movie of actually. Um, in that, you know, it has things in it that are ostensibly scary, uh, whether it's ghosts or corpses or blood soup. Um, but they're pre presented in such a, an entertainment-oriented way that it's sort of clear, it, it seems clear to me that they're aiming more at a thrill than a scare, let's say. Um, maybe that's not always true. Uh, but at least during during play, that seems true to me. And throwing a Dracula story on top of that, um, those experiences, doesn't really change the beats of moving through the castle because there's never really any sense that the story will move from the cutscenes into the interaction zone. <laughs> Dracula's not waiting around the corner, right? He's uh, sitting on a chair in the distance and you're just making your way slowly towards him. And the worst he ever seems to really do to you is kick a boulder down the stairs or, or send uh, an animatronic knight your way, um, neither of which actually end up harming you at all. Um, and again, you know, shades of, of amusement park, right? Universal Studios uh, studio tour, right, in that case. And this is something that we've said before. Um, some of these games that are very entertainment-oriented are more like horror-themed theme parks. And it's a lot of fun, but you don't shiver in fear. Um, if anything, you shiver with a little frisson of enjoyment at, I don't know, the appearance of fear, right? Um, and I just don't think that's necessarily what you or, or I have been looking for from horror games at a personal level. Um, I think we've seemed more at home with or more on board with anatomies, ambiguities, or Saturnalia's tangled web of clues and story fragments, um, more than we've enjoyed maybe the, you know, you killed your mom shocker reveal in a cutscene. Um, 
but all of that said, you know, like I do enjoy a haunted house, and there's definitely a special place in my heart uh, for the corpse in D who has <laughs> had a wall built around his extended arm so that his hand can end up in a locked box holding a ring for you to find so you can unlock a door. Thanks, Dad. Monday, the 13th of March, at 1.06 p.m. I don't want to drift too far away from the game. I think, let me unspool what's in my head. Apologies if this is just too much of a history lesson. Um, But I think what we're really headed towards here is uh, talking about what we want from or mean, you know, when we say the phrase experimental video games. And... D, I think today is largely remembered as a cult hit when it came out. Um, a lot of reviews at the time called it a masterpiece, and we can get into the mechanics of sort of how a publication winds up saying things like that. Um, but I think the more immediate point here is that Kenji largely stopped making games after D2 in 1999, you know, the sequel to this uh, game. Um, and he, I, what I was reading was that he said he was feeling... He was becoming too conventional in his design. And I haven't played D2. I think you saw a video of it. You know, it looked like a lot of just sort of running around and shooting. And, you know, I think Kenji sort of putting the story in in post is more out of a desire. I think it came more out of a desire to, like, see what happened as a result or sort of recognizing that was an unconventional approach. I mean, I don't know. It could have been sheer laziness. I mean, it's the mother of a lot of necessities, right? Um, And I think, like, the biggest swings we see Deed take is just the presence of cannibalism in the game. Um, It's two things I notice sort of rarely come up in video games. Cannibalism is one. And then the other big taboo is, like, hurting dogs, though you see it in Resident Evil quite a bit. And, you know, outside of all that, I mean, the puzzles in D, although the way you flow from one area to another is definitely strange, the puzzles, which you spend most of your time on, you largely know what to do when you are confronted with them, like, out of context. And, I mean, I hope nobody is (laughs) listening in on our calls. Um, But just to explain, I mean, you know, this won't, makes sense out of context, but, you know, you get to a doorway in D with the number 78 above it. By the time you see it, you know what you have to do. And I think in a way, you know, what's maybe more experimental here is, like, we talked about the walking around, moving in the environment, but I wonder if, like, the most really experimental stuff here, I don't know how this impacts the horror, but, like, they're, like, quiet things. Like, yeah, we talked about the time limit, but there's also a hint system um, that I think is pretty neat. You know, Laura has a compact you can look at, and it shows you where, maybe where you have to be, but very obscured. But, you know, each time you look at it, it gets cracks in it. And I kind of like the idea of a game that's very disorienting, doesn't throw you any meaningful lifelines. And there's obviously a metaphor there, right? Like, look too closely at something, it falls apart. Um, But I mean, you're, you know, of the two of us, you're the experimental game designer here. Through the lens of horror, I mean, were there opportunities to scare us that you think are sort of right there and that you just wound up sidestepping? Monday, the 13th of March, at 2.41 p.m. D. Vid. How are you? I have not asked uh, in a while. 
but you're right, the, the compact is a really interesting part of this game. And especially the fact that when you use a hint uh, by looking into the compact and getting the obscure reflection, it cracks a bit. Uh, so it gets harder to read over time because it continues to crack. And then I think after maybe your third hint, it, um, it breaks completely and the hints are gone. And I think that's really nice design playing into the kind of desperation that you're presumably feeling if you're looking for hints in the first place, that it's, it's kind of getting worse and degrading. Uh, but in terms of opportunities to, to be more scary, uh, obviously I'm, you know, I'm a bit reluctant to redesign someone else's game, but I definitely see a lot of potential in the weird movement style uh, of D, that thing of pressing an arrow key and then waiting while the movement completes itself quite slowly. And for instance, my tendency then to keep slamming the next key I want to input while I wait for the current one to finish uh, there are opportunities there to maybe make the player a little bit more nervous about what's going to happen when they make their move. Uh, maybe you have to study the scene ahead of you a little more closely. Uh, you know, are those ghostly fingers curling around the doorway? Maybe I shouldn't go that way. Uh, those sorts of those sorts of ideas, so that committing to a move feels a little bit more intense than it does right now, uh, because we know there's sort of nothing in the in the castle that can harm us really. Um, maybe except for the suit of armor, I suppose. Um, the other thing that occurs to me that could be really cool with this movement system would be running away from something. Um, because I think, you know, you move kind of a bit like you've got a broken leg. It's a bit agonizing. It's um, kind of stuttering. And if something very slow was chasing you and you had to navigate away from it at this speed, uh, I think that that could feel pretty weird. Um, and, and creepy. But I think, you know, the big message there is I think for horror to land in these games, especially these older games where the graphics aren't going to, you know, they're not going to gore it up so much that we're creeped out by what we see, uh, you really have to anchor the horror to the interactivity. And in this case, that's the movement system, um, right? So the, the interactivity, the thing you're responsible for, has to be the thing that is also scary. Um, although it's possible to go the other way, right? Anatomy was very scary, uh, but nothing happened per se in that game either, except just wandering around worrying about being scared. <laughs> um, but I wanted to talk a bit about the ending, right? Or, or rather the endings. You know, what did you do uh, when you saw Dad sitting in his chair saying, Laura, Laura, Laura? Monday, the 13th of March at 2.48 p.m. Monday, the 13th of March, at 3.04 p.m. Oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking, man. Uh, or P. I guess if you call me D, I can call you P. Um, hope that's okay. So, uh, what did I do in the end? I killed dear old dad. Uh, there's a precious family vampire heirloom magic musket you can use... Uh, and I just sort of did it as a knee-jerk thing. Although, as I say this now, I wonder, what if you can actually time out in that final decision, you know, when you're given the option and, like, you can be penalized for choosing nothing and then still run out of time? <clears throat> uh, 
I guess the next time I have two hours to to let, I will I will try that and see. But it, probably not enough time before our time here runs out. But um, I don't know if I have like a strong rationale for why. I think I was aware you said you got the bad ending, and I mean I think all the endings in this game are tragic. So I don't know if there's really like a happy ending. Uh, maybe there's no redemption for cannibals and vampires, is what D is saying. But you know, I tend to do this in games, like, at this big final momentous decision, uh, just go with gut reaction, first instinct things, because I think, you know, as I think you know from our conversations, like, it can be very easy to break the flow in the course of these decision-filled games, and you can overly wring your hands at any point, and, you know, I remember another example is, like, at the end of Life is Strange, you get this choice. Um, you can sacrifice your friend Chloe's life to save the town of Arcadia Bay. Or you can stay in the timeline and spare her life, um, but basically sacrifice the entire town. And I guess out of spite, honestly, I killed the entire town because there was one character who I found really annoying. Um, but that sounds like a me thing and not a game thing, maybe. Uh, you know, I think you know, a lot of novelists talk about the endings and of their work and whether they failed or the reader failed, depending on how the ending lands. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, we should actually talk about the story in our impending wrap-up, but as uh, we are running out of time here ourselves talking about D, uh, I want to hear why you did what you did and does it haunt you. And I guess, you know, my comments about experimentation games, experimental games, had more to do about, like, the rate at which design decisions get metabolized, become part of established norms, and sort of, you know, what winds up getting lost over time. I mean, I guess looking back, like, D is weird in certain ways, but uh, not really that weird. But whatever. I'll talk to you. Monday, the 13th of March, at 4.29 p.m. All right, well... That's about it for D. I'm glad that you got the good ending, which (laughs) you got by shooting your father, of course. Uh, As you said, no good endings, only tragic endings. I got the bad ending, and the way I got it did interest me a little bit. In a sense, it was um, kind of a usability problem because it plays this very dramatic cutscene where your dad uh, talks about how, you know, blood of Dracula runs through your veins, the change is coming, um, human flesh, human flesh, and then he says, I want your flesh, Laura, come to me, exclamation mark, I assume. That's the Hellraiser bit uh, for me right there. And then it returns control to you, and I think because I had been kind of numbed by playing for like two hours at that point... I didn't understand that this was a, a crucial moment for me to make a choice about what to do, um, and I was just hitting buttons because I wasn't sure what the situation was, whether it was quick time, whether I was just waiting for more cutscene. One of the buttons I hit was the up arrow, and it turns out that the up arrow means that you do indeed go to dad and he consumes your flesh um, he tries to give it a positive spin. Uh, he says that you'll kind of rule together because you're going to become part of him in a kind of 
Dracula, Voltron or something. Uh, but it, it was definitively the bad, bad ending because I was scolded by a scroll at the end that told me I should play the game again uh, and try to do better. Uh, but the thing about it that I really liked is that I chose the wrong ending by mistake through a single keystroke at the end of a two-hour game. And <laughs> that is bold, right? Like, that is really leaning into the idea of high consequence for a seemingly small action. And yes, they could have told me a little better what my options were. I didn't even think of opening the inventory and getting the gun, uh, not least of all because I had already used it and it seemed like a kind of one-shot uh, pistol. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't, it didn't run through my mind that I could and should, really should have shot my father. He needed to be put out of his misery for more reason than one. Uh, but yeah, so I like the boldness of this huge choice at the end of the game that is not signposted. There's no, you know, press X to pay your respects kind of situation. You just have to figure out what to do. And just as a last note, which I really enjoy, um, I watched a, a playthrough just because I was refreshing my memory about the language at the end there and, uh, you know, I want your flesh stuff. And if you look at the compact at that exact moment, it shows a reflection of your father's face, which, you know, that's pretty spooky. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Monday, the 13th of March at 5.19 p.m. Oh, that's pretty good. Actually, I got a little spooked out. In the spookometer, it went to a little, which is pretty good. I mean, just hearing about it. Of course, I can connect dots, and I remember it, and I can see it. But I think, you know, when it comes to horror and D, as the tape is wrapping up, it's a, it's a challenge to maybe put more of a bow on all the bows we've been putting on it as it recedes into the distance. Um... I mean, on one level, D is a game about intergenerational trauma, how we can't escape, you know. Um, hello. Can't escape, uh, sorry, I had to be polite there. Can't escape uh, who we are, who made us, we can't get away from us. Um, you know, and in the case of the multiple endings, like even if you were to vanquish your dad, you still are who he was, who made you. And the game doesn't really get into that. There's like a very awesome uh, guitar solo butt rock thing that plays after the end sequence. So nothing really lands in the way that it's set up to which is a-okay, you know, we just sort of wanted to see what the deal was with D. And I could do a bunch of, it's tempting to do a bunch of cutesy Sesame Street guesses at what D is, and I mean, I think we've been talking about what D is. D is done. End of messages. Thank you for calling GameThing. For more information, please hang up and dial GameThing.life.
Goodbye.